As things stand, as we record this, the next launch attempt for the Artemis One mission will take place this weekend on November 13th. So we wanted to try and find some people who might know what it's like to be up close to that rocket. And so today we talk to Ken Kramer and Gene Wright of Space Up Close as they've spent most of this summer being very close to seeing this incredible new rocket launch. We're changing the format a bit this week too, so as always, we'd love to hear what you think. Get in touch with us on our social media pages at Space and Things One on Twitter and at Space and Things Podcast on Instagram and Facebook or via the contact form on our website. And please consider hitting the share button to help us out. But right now, enjoy episode 115 of the Space and Things Podcast. Space and Things with Dave Giles and Emily Carney. I'm Emily Carney. And I'm Dave Giles, and welcome to episode 115 of the Space and Things podcast. Now, Emily and I have been having a discussion about the podcast and how we want to try and improve it. We've been going through all the feedback we get, and we even reached out to our Patreon subscribers for their comments. It seems to us that the new section doesn't really add as much as we would have liked. Yes, and because of the nature of social media and the fact that we take a bit of time each week to get this podcast prepped and edited for release, often by the time it's released, we're a few days out of date, and most of you would have already heard or seen the big news stories anyway. So we're replacing this with a new section called What's Caught My Eye This Week. This is a chance for Dave and I to talk about one thing which has really made an impact or got us thinking and actually discuss that a little more in depth than we often would do within a new story. Of course, that may end up being a new story or it could be a book or a film or anything else that we think might be relevant. The aim will be that neither of us tell the other one about it before we start recording so we can be nice and spontaneous. I'll do my best in the meantime to make sure that we share more news stories that we'd normally cover on the show on our social media. So another reason to make sure you're following us over there. Anyway, that's the idea and this new feature will appear in the same part of the podcast that the news feature used to be in after the interviews, or the main feature. Speaking of which, it's time for this week's main feature. On November 13th, there's another planned launch attempt for the Artemis 1 rocket. We've already been here a few times this year, and the launch hasn't happened for various reasons, but our return to the moon is a big deal, so we want to continue to find ways to cover this until it eventually launches, and who knows, that could be this week. Yep, so today we talk to Gene Wright and Ken Kramer. They're two journalists who run Space Up Close, which is a great website which gives incredible insight into what's happening down at the Cape. And as a result, they've been there for all of these launch attempts for Artemis 1, which I'm sure most of you know is the uncrewed launch that will take the Orion spacecraft around the moon in an attempt to prove that it's ready for a crewed launch to the moon for Artemis 2. Ken and Gene have both been at the media centre at the launch site across the summer and have taken some incredible photos of the rocket and asked some pertinent questions at the NASA briefings. So we think they're the perfect guests to get us in the mood for the next launch attempt. All right, you are go for TLI. Welcome, Gene and Ken. So... Let's go back to the very start. When did you set up Space Up Close, and what was the idea behind it? Well, I set it up about five years ago. Um, I used to write for other websites, uh, Universe Today and Space Flight Magazine and uh, and uh, NASA Watch and uh, Planetary Society. They went a different way, so I started my own website, and I tried to come up with a name. And this is the name I came up with because I'm always up close with the rockets. <laughs> and so that's how that started just about five years ago. And I had a friend, uh, also a space colleague, set up the website for me, Chase Clark from Rocket STEM. So I want to I want to thank him for doing that. You know, it's mostly me, a couple articles by Gene, but, you know, we both contribute to it. We both take pictures. Yeah, I want it to be on my own. And I'm very happy I did that. I'm my own boss. I do what I want to do. And I don't have to be worried about editors. <laughs> it's caught on. So I'm pretty happy with uh, with how it turns out. A lot of networks see it. I do a lot of TV interviews. Gene does a lot of interviews. And 
so they they linked to that website space up close and so um yeah started out small but i think we have a we have a decent following and gene how did you end up involved well um, um as a docent which is a volunteer um i i've been working on the shuttle but we had volunteer opportunities to work out there and um i was always interested in the photography side of that so uh, i used to hurt all these guys when i first met ken it was supposed to go ours launch in november 2016 but i actually was an escort for all the media up there uh -huh. so then i decided i wanted to be a part of that too so i fortunately i got to be very cool and you got to work on the space shuttle yeah i worked as part of thermal protection so uh, my boss would usually have me uh, whenever we had tours of our building, since he said you're our most enthusiastic person here, <laughs> so I would do the tours for our building. And then I just started working with um, NASA doing the volunteer. So I've been in the VAB. We've been, we have an opportunity. We've been lucky to be into a lot of places we get to go to. We both have space backgrounds. I'm a scientist. I'm a PhD research scientist. We met and eventually after the program was over. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It ended in, you know, 2011. I was there. Gene was there, too. We didn't know one another at the time, but we were both there for the launch. It's funny. They had a quilt that one of my coworkers had made, and it was in front of Bay 3. And he was part of the gang of photographers, and I'm one of them holding up the quilt. And so there were so many instances. I'm in some of his pictures. That was back in 2011. We never even met, yeah. but I'm in some of his pictures <laughs> before we even met each other. Yeah, we didn't <laughs> meet till like five years later, like she said, when she was escorting the media. Well, one thing I wanted to say, though, is, is I think the perspective that Ken and I have, Emily, you're a writer. you got to have creativity for that. you got to have a creative mind. And I think that's where science and art comes in because Ken sees things a certain way. I see things a certain way. I have a lot of people who say they like my photography because I look at it with a gee whiz, I'm here at this press site. Mm. I'm, I'm so lucky to be here. So I notice little nuances of little things because right. I'm like a little kid when I'm out there. He's very scientific minded. And I think that's the difference between us. I'm creative, more creative, I think, and he's more scientific. So somehow it all meshes together. So what has it been like? This is this question's a bit of a pivot, but what has it been like this last year with Artemis? You know, first with stacking it in the vehicle assembly building and then the rollout. You know, how has the buildup been compared to, you know, other important launches this year? Well, <laughs> compared to other important, there's nothing more important than Artemis. Yeah. So I can tell you that. Yeah. But, you know, um, when I was a kid, I became a scientist because of Project Apollo and Star Trek and things like that inspired me. And so now I get to see it and it's real with my own eyes instead of seeing it on the TV. That's the up close part of it. You hear the emotion so, in his voice. He's always know, been this way. Always. So seeing it, it's like looking back 50 years. And now I know what Apollo was like because we see it up close. That giant rocket, Artemis, the first time it rolled out in March. I mean, we were just all uh, flabbergasted and, and, and so excited. We've seen it roll back three times <laughs> now, back and forth, and it never gets old. But, you know, the first time is the best time. But, you know, it rolls back in the day and the night, and it's always different. So we're getting pictures from different angles. So it's extremely thrilling. And then explaining that to the public, that can get a little frustrating because they think everything should work the first time. But of course, it doesn't. We all knew that it would never launch the first time. So, yeah, it's really exciting for me and probably for Gene, too, to go back to our childhoods and see it uh, the way it really was. Because, you know, Apollo and the SLS, they're about the same height. Apollo is a little bit higher, 360 feet versus about 320. Mm -hmm. Uh, SLS will grow, of course, in its in its in its future versions. But I could really imagine myself looking at Apollo when that thing was rolling out, and it was just stunning. And then the first time it rolled out, the moon was there. Yeah. The moon was rising, so it was just absolutely perfect. I think for me, it's a bit of nostalgia to it because Ken and I was able to go a couple of times inside the VAB when it was stacked. And I look at it because I look at it from a shuttle eye point because I see the parts that we used on the shuttle. So that kind of brings back um, some memories. Uh, and I, I envision how it was when shuttle was in there. And of course, all the, they have new platforms now. Everything supports Artemis. So there's a little bit of sadness there. And then once she launches, as corny as this sounds, 
then for me, the shuttle program will be officially ended mm. because then we will have officially gone to a new program, even though shuttle's been ended for 11 years. Anyway, one thing we should mention, though, um, it's not just the rollout. Actually, we've been following this program for years and years and years. Actually, I've been reporting about Orion and SLS for more than 10 years. Yeah. We've been to so we have been to Michoud, yeah. right? While you were talking, it just yeah. it just occurred to me. I forgot that part of the story. Yeah. So, you know, we saw Orion. We saw the EFT-1 test flight uh, back in 2014. And at that time, we were going to launch SLS in 2017. So been a lot of... Yeah. Been a lot of delays, been a lot of false starts, but we're finally here. But anyway, the point is we have seen it along the way. At Michoud, at Stennis doing testing, we saw the Pegasus barge bring the components here. Then we were in the VAB, like you said. So we saw the, the components being stacked and assembled, and that took over a year. So there was a big buildup before actual rollout. So that's really important to know. Is it wasn't just a rollout. It's, it's we we traveled, you know, to New Orleans. That's where Michoud is actually, right on the outskirts of, of New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And I had seen um, the the Orion actually being built there, welded. That's where it's welded. So it all starts there. Components come from across the country, and then they go to Michoud and they get assembled together, and then they go to Stennis for the engine testing, and then from Stennis. It gets shipped here on a barge to the Kennedy Space Center, the individual components, and Orion gets outfitted with, with all of its uh, systems. So there's a lot involved, not just in the launch, not just the rollout, but the whole buildup, the whole process over the past 10 years to get to this point. I'm guessing that means you have some kind of special connection with this rocket as well. You've seen it almost from embryo to where it is now about to launch. So you definitely must have some kind of special connection with this, right? Beyond the Apollo nostalgia yeah. that you mentioned earlier. Absolutely, 100%. I was back in Michoud the first time back in 2010, I believe, mm -hmm. when we saw the individual components of Orion being assembled for the EFT-1 test flight. First, there was the ground test article, and then another capsule for that. So I've been writing about it since then. So yeah, it's ownership in the sense that we are very much uh, involved in this program. We very much wanted to succeed, not just Orion, but also SLS is built there at Michoud. I saw the engines, the RS-25s um, individually, say, the ones that used to launch your shuttles. That's what I was going to say, because they pointed out to us which engines that were on Artemis that were actually used on the shuttle. So that kind of brought a little awe to yeah. me, because I know which engines that they're using. Yeah, at least one of them was on STS-135, you know, the four engines versus three for the shuttle. So they have a lot of heritage over many flights. So, yeah, there's definitely uh, an ownership uh, in that in that sense. Uh, kinship, uh, definitely, that they're like our little babies. Uh, and that's why we want them to do well. You know, hopefully we'll launch this time. But, you know, in the rocket business, it's never any guarantee that anything mm -hmm. is going to happen. Hopefully we'll launch, but if we have more delays, we have more delays. Yeah. So long as it's successful, because the thing is, it has to be successful. There's really no margin for error. Yeah. SLS rocket must work. Orion must go into orbit. It must orbit around the moon and it has to come back and it has to splash down safely. And then the ownership continues because we want to see that Orion capsule. Again, it returns to Apollo. I got inspired to be a scientist by Apollo and I get to see it now. It's just endless awe and amazement. Have y'all noticed any like extra excitement around the, you know, the Space Coast area? You know, has it has it gotten a little busier? When the shuttle ended in 2011, it, it really kind of slowed down there, you know, as far as tourism and everything like that. So what's it like now? Uh, there's a lot of construction going on, a lot of new subdivisions, and that's good. In fact, our subdivision's relatively new, and we see SpaceX banners hanging outside of garage doors when there's a launch. So clearly in our subdivision, there's a lot of space workers. But I think it's exciting um, is seeing the crowds again on the causeway and on the bridge, mm -hmm. even Starlink, because a lot of people go, oh, it's another Starlink. But um, even, no matter what time of morning or night, the crowds are, uh, we live off of Highway 1, which is kind of a major thoroughfare in Titusville. And yeah, it's good to see all the places are packed about an hour or two before launch. So yeah, there's a lot of viewership now. It's boom times on the Space Coast oh, right yeah. now. Titusville, yeah. uh, where where we're living, 
after the shuttle really went downhill. You know, 30,000 people, including Gene, lost their jobs. Mm -hmm. And it was very tough on a lot of people there in the space industry, but also locally. Oh, oh, everybody who lives around here, houses plummeted, real estate plummeted, restaurants closed, gas stations closed, uh, <laughs> supermarkets, everything. You could see, and you can still see, businesses that went bankrupt. Mm -hmm. Now it's changing and it's changing rapidly. It's changed over time, picked up starting around four or five years ago. Uh, but now it's really accelerating. And it's not just Titusville, it's uh, all of Brevard County. There are many aerospace companies coming here to Brevard County, uh, all the way down to Melbourne. It's is a pretty long county. This is the Space Coast. So Titusville is just the northern tip of it. Mm -hmm. uh, and in fact, probably most of the jobs are actually down in Melbourne, mm -hmm. about half hour, 45 minutes to an hour south of here. That's where the aerospace companies are all located. There's an airport there mm. and they're all building new facilities, Northrop Grumman, Lockheed, Boeing, mm -hmm. uh, Selenia. There's so many of them, L3 Harris. There are dozens of aerospace companies here. And beyond that, there's a lot of new rocket companies. SpaceX led to a boom here. Yeah. Complete turnaround. We we had, um, you know, maybe a dozen launches in a year, sometimes five or six. Um, and now we have a launch. We have 45. This is we've every week. This year. Yeah. And sometimes there's three a week. SpaceX is responsible for a lot of that. But there's other launch pads as well. Mm -hmm. So there's startup companies, which SpaceX used to be a startup, new space. There's a whole bunch of other companies coming in too. Blue Origin, massive investment um, across from the visitor complex. They have such a gigantic facility yeah, you can't you cannot fathom. It's like the, the Mall of America <laughs> in the middle of nowhere, is what I like to say. <laughs> and, and, the and they have a, yeah, yeah launch and they got a launch pad, and other companies have launch pads. You know, the Delta launch pads went down, but now new companies are taking over, refurbishing those pads. So we got, you know, ULA and SpaceX and NASA launching right now. But we got three or four or five new companies coming along, too. And so they're bringing in new facilities and new people and new jobs. Mm -hmm. So it's very vibrant. They have a new mall that opened up here. And we have a uh, first time we have a movie theater here <laughs> that was built here a couple of years ago. So Titusville's growing. Yeah. And, you know, you're wondering about uh, is the community... Uh, uh, latching on or promoting this absolutely they do you know uh, for those those artemis attempts we had the most people of any launch since a shuttle the beaches were crowded restaurants and uh, and uh, various establishment they put artemis signs and artemis shirts artemis hats artemis paraphernalia all over the place that you could buy uh, i we do outreach and uh, so we did a lot of outreach events too at the local quality and hotel here uh, where we, I should mention, if I can, uh, we sell our pictures <laughs> and Jean sells her shirts, yeah. you know, space up close. Uh, she's got so sister space creation. So we're doing a lot of outreach. So the community is, but we do our own outreach also trying to get kids and adults educated and excited about space. That's my mission. That's my mission. Goal in life is to get people educated, excited and enlightened about science space technology and the benefits and that and that's what's and art and art <laughs> and art because we need artists we absolutely need artists because they because we have to convey what does that look like mm. i i mean i can't draw for beans <laughs> okay but but gene is a spectacular artist and other people are too and we need to have both a melding of science and art so we can convey to the public the excitement of of what's going on here so yeah there's a lot of excitement and what about amongst the press in the media center at what point did you realize it's getting busy again you mentioned earlier in 2011 when the shuttle was ending you two were in the same place but you didn't realize because obviously it was that busy we've had a lull at what point has it come back again was it bob and doug's flight has it been falcon heavy uh i'm assuming you've you've realized that the world is taking notice again right yeah, it really went down that that year when the shuttle retired. We had three major planetary launches mm. to Mars, uh, Juno to Jupiter, 
and the uh, Delta Delta II launched the two uh, Grail missions to the Moon orbiters, and then it really fell off after that, and so did the interest. But you know what brought it back? Um, a lot of it was SpaceX, the Falcon Heavy. The other thing is uh, human spaceflight has restarted. That's what the public is really interested in. I'm really interested in Mars and science, but the public is interested in human spaceflight. So that picked up a lot just about two and a half years ago. You know when Demo Two launched with the uh, um, Hurley and, and Binken, and then they've had seven launches since then. You got private missions launching, Axiom 1, Inspiration 4. But there's no denying, when I was a docent up at Atlantis, the thing we heard constantly was is that they thought NASA closed its doors. Once the shuttle ended, right. NASA closed its doors. Um, I still get occasionally asked, when's the next shuttle launch? And I've come to realize that that's just a generic term for a rocket for people. So that's yeah. what they say. But you're right about the press site. When we had our first attempt for Artemis, over 800 press were certified or accredited to go out there. Over 800. I have a foreign national escort badge. So um, we had a lot of foreign press that were here this time. But yeah, over 800. Um, I don't know if you're aware, there's a giant mural that we have at the press site that was painted a year ago. And Christopher Maslow was the artist. And, and it's got a, a representation of John F. Kennedy and the workers right. out there. And I had a close friend of mine, Jerry Bernfeld, who died, and he added his picture on the mural. So he's on the furthest right. So his, he died almost a year ago. So I've taken a picture of the mural and the picture that he added from Jerry to give to his wife. Aww. So uh, it's a beautiful mural. It's right there next to the press site, in the shadow of the press site. Actually, we walk past it every time we, we go in the main door. It's right across from the VAB, really, the Vehicle Assembly yeah. Building. It's the same building so they do the uh, press conferences. Stunning. Oh, right. it's, yeah. a, it's in the building where we do the press conferences mm -hmm. from, exactly. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful mural, so inspiring. Mm -hmm. How do you guys feel, you know, NASA has, has uh, what kind of job have they done as far as, you know, dealing with the press? You know, in regards to some of the issues that SLS has faced over the summer, you know, there have been hydrogen leaks. Obviously, there have been two uh, two scrubs, you know, and there's been some unwelcome attention on it because of that. You know, and uh, how do you guys feel that NASA has has dealt with that? You're right about there's been a lot of yeah. jokes and a lot of people saying, will this thing ever lift off? Yeah, we've heard we've heard a bit of everything, a, bit, a lot of everything. I would say. uh well, NASA used to be a lot more open, so hopefully they're going to be more open in explaining things. But but as I said to you earlier in the program, these delays are to be expected. And uh, NASA maybe could have done a better job at explaining why these delays are happening. Because, you know, when you get a million people there, they're, they're going to be disappointed, and that's inevitable. And that's where outreach becomes very important. So I think NASA probably could do a little bit better job of outreach and explaining things. Um, and the media can do a better job of that, too. That's that's why we do outreach in the evenings in the hotel and uh, explain to people why things don't work. Uh, the one thing we were frustrated at when we had the first attempt, well, we kept yelling at the NASA TV, fill us in on this. Don't just stop it there. Continue on. So it was frustrating for us that we're there at the yeah. press site because we wanted to find out certain things. And it seemed like, to me, it almost like cloaking a few things. Yeah, they, they like I said, they, they should be definitely doing a better job of explaining things. You know, SpaceX, uh, people think SpaceX uh, tells us everything. They tell us basically very little. And NASA needs to, used to tell us everything. And I wish they would go back to that model that they used to have. In, in explaining a lot of things, in uh, I, I should say, explaining things in a lot more detail and a lot more depth instead of just having to have the media explain all of that because it, it is yeah. highly technical and it is very complex. Well, also, I but like I said, this mission must succeed. There is no margin for failure. But and so that has to be made very Sorry. clear that... If we launch today, tomorrow, a month, or a year from now is irrelevant. Yeah. What is relevant only is complete success of this mission. There can only be a very small, very tiny margin for error here, okay, of things that don't get accomplished. But you're Otherwise, right. we will never get to Artemis II and we'll never get to Artemis III landing people on the moon. So there is a tremendous amount of pressure 
on NASA to get things right. And that's why these delays happen, okay? Because there's hydrogen leaks. Some of it was bad weather. You know, they could have done a little bit more cryogenic testing. Uh, that was wet dress rehearsals. I thought they should have done a fifth one. But you're right, though. There's a lot of competition. We hear all the time, SpaceX launched so fast. They they have such a success record. What happened to NASA? There's always been, we hear bad mouth on both sides all the time. All the time. Yeah, same here. We, it's something that Emily and I talk about a lot. We wind us up quite a lot. Anyway, where can people find out? We've obviously mentioned Space Up Close a few times, but where exactly can people find out more about what you do and support what you're doing? You know, if you're interested, contact us at Space Up Close. And I'll just mention again uh, our ad-free website. If you buy any pictures, supports our website. Gene, I inter- do my interviews in shirts from her. He does a lot of international yeah. I- uh, interviews. and With the BBC, with the, too. With the BBC. And so every time he does that, he wears one of my shirts, and it's always space-related. One time he got a last-minute request to do an interview, and the time's different. It's five or six hours. He forgot to put a shirt on. And that's the first thing the lady broadcaster host of the show said, Dr. Kramer, we always see one of your space shirts. What's wrong? So they they notice the shirts every time he wears them. That's amazing. So let me mention the BBC breakfast. Ah. So you 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 must be familiar with that. I was on three times for Artemis, three times BBC breakfast in a week. It was incredible. You know, that's like the Today Show here and the. And Good Morning America, over 6 million viewers. So I was on there doing outreach. So that's, you know, what that's what we do. We, we pay back. What we see, we pay back. And the important point is it's not just the U.S. media, but it's, it's the national media. And they must Absolutely. have faith in me because they come back to me to explain things. Oh, but I love <laughs> the Brits. They're so excited. They, they, they just, we see a lot of tourists from England that come over here. And they always say, it's so brilliant. It's so brilliant. And I love that because they get so excited. Yeah, well, we don't have anything like that over here. Maybe, maybe we will soon, but we don't at the moment. Anyway, Jim, before we go, I do want to ask you, I've heard a rumor about a book. It's going to be a book about you. And also your sewing business. This fascinates me. Please tell us a little bit about this. I do have a book coming out next year. In fact, next fall, it should be about a year. Um, I met this woman named Elise at Atlantis about three years ago. And she says, oh, we must write a book about you. And and I've, said, I've heard that before. But really, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. But how I got started in the sewing business on shuttle, um, that I just applied for. Um, I knew how to read blueprints because we had to know how to make uh, read blueprints to make our own patterns. So uh, I had a couple of interviews and uh, six months from the first time I applied. But my boss said he decided to hire me because he said you knew so much about the shuttle and you had such passion and our building was kind of sad. And he said, we could see the spirit that you had. So um, they interviewed three other ladies after me, but he invited me to go to the TPSF after my interview. And I didn't know I was the only one because he said, uh, I wanted you the minute I heard your interview. I'll interview the rest of them, but I want her uh, <laughs> sewing wise for my little business. I bought some flown fabric from uh, four different space shuttles. And so I incorporate that into everything I make. So wow. and sometimes, and again, to encourage kids, I will sometimes, if I have a kid that comes up and speaks with me and I want to encourage them, I'll just send them a piece of fa- a, a flown payload bay fabric, just free of charge to anybody. Cause I want to excite kids to know that, you know, I always say, I always tell them when I hand them the fabric, this fabric danced among the stars and someday maybe you will too. So I'm always giving out free pieces of fabric to kids because I want to encourage them. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, we we will, of course, uh, put links to everything in in our show description so people can go and find everything about uh, Space Up Close and and your sewing and your shirts and all that kind of wonderful stuff, which is is really great that you're doing. Thank you so much for talking to us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. We really, really enjoyed it a lot. Thank you. Thanks Thank a you. Lot. Well, if you haven't changed any, it's really something else. I tell you, John, it did tell me about it for three years, but ain't no way you can describe it. Well, that was just a delightful little interview. I had a great time there. What really impressed me was their passion. I mean, they were even getting quite emotional talking about Artemis and, and, and what's going on. I loved that. I love hearing that passion. Yeah, I really liked uh, how they both emphasized the different modalities that really go into reporting spaceflight because 
I think some people, you know, have this image when you, you know, if you're writing about space, you know, you have to be this great scientific mind. Or on the other hand, people think you have to be this great artistic mind. And I, and I really like how they pointed out it's it's really a mix of both because um, I think it really shows that, you know, it, you, you don't have to be like this really great scientist who knows like the square root of the room <laughs> to, you know, talk about space or, or report about it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a prime example. <laughs> yeah, me too i'm not i'm not an engineer yeah. like i have a little bit of engineering background but not i'm not an aerospace engineer and i still work in aerospace and i know you know a lot of people who they're designers they work yeah. in aerospace that's awesome and it's cool to see more artistic people get an opportunity to get access to that industry because back in the day it was like well you have to be this scientist or you have to be this engineer or you know somebody with that background and I think nowadays we're seeing more diverse groups of people get into the industry, which is what we need. Absolutely. So obviously the the focus on Artemis is really interesting. It's crazy how big of a deal everyone is taking it because it is a big deal, which is great. But in the past, my frustration, especially in this country, is that things that I think are a big deal, people don't take seriously. But this is being taken seriously. You know, as Ken said, he's on he was on BBC Breakfast three times. That's crazy that they're actually giving it time in this country says everything you need to know about it, in my opinion. So what they're doing is so important. What what they're doing and the access they get and the photos they're putting out to try and make sure that it's maximized. But the frustration for me, and I think it is, I think it comes from NASA, is that they build it up incorrectly. They need to make it clearer that these are launch attempts. Yeah, they do countdowns on social media. Four days to launch, three days to launch. No, it's a three-day to launch attempt, because I think yeah. when you get a million people going to the area expecting to see a launch and then they don't see a launch, and yes, yeah, they get mad. Yes, many of them are like us who would understand. Okay, these things happen, but a lot of them wouldn't. A lot of them say, "Oh, moon yeah. rocket, it's happening, it's happening," and then it doesn't happen. Uh, and and you can see why people are getting frustrated. And there's a danger that you can switch someone off for life, just the way that this thing can also turn someone on for life and make someone want want to get involved with space. If you do this wrong, it can have the opposite effect. So I think that's got to come from NASA or the launch companies, whoever they are, just to, just to. You know, pull it back a little bit. Yes, you want to hype the mission, but you've got to do that sensibly. Yeah, I think back in the STS days, and I, of course, I'm saying this, I don't remember STS-1 because I was a little too young for that one. I don't think back in the day it was hyped up as much like we're going to launch on this specific day, you know, or something like that. I think I think back then they were a little more maybe prudent about being like, okay, we're going to attempt to launch on this date, but if we don't make it this day, we'll try two days later yeah. or something but, like but that. Social, social media has got so much to do with that though, hasn't it? Let's be honest. Exactly. I think, you know, I love social media, but, you know, everybody wants to go viral on social media. So, you know, what better way to get that attention than saying, hey, we got a giant moon rocket going up in like a day. Yeah. Like you said, I wish the language was a little more precise. Like this is a launch attempt. Just a heads up, it you know it may not go this day. By all means, tune in. By all means, come down and have a look. But if it doesn't launch, yeah. By the way, you can do this. You can do that. Like Ken, like Ken and Gene were saying, there's other things you can yeah. do in the area. There's probably other things you'll be able to see, do to still enhance your experience. Uh, yeah, I just think it comes from the top. Anyway, it was great to have. Ken and Gene on telling us a bit about what it's like behind the scenes and what it's been like in the area. Uh, really fascinating stuff. And I'll put links for all of the stuff they talked about in the show notes as always, but just check out the website space up close. And as always, the full interview, you can watch it on our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash space and things. Hey, congratulations. This is real good. Okay, let's try this. Emily. What's caught your eye this week, which you'd like to talk about? Yeah, well, what's caught my eye this week, and I, I'm pretty sure it's caught everybody's eye this week, who's who's uh, been on a certain <laughs> a free app, app called Twitter, is that uh, Elon Musk has taken over Twitter. I'm not going to get too into the weeds on this. I really wanted to sort of spend time on spaceflight only. But, you know, there's mm. been a lot of talk about um, what is free speech on Twitter. I do have concerns, you know, I feel like in the space community within the last, I don't know, 18 months or so, 
you know, a lot of agencies, including NASA, NASA released, you know, a new plan to really discuss diversity. And and NASA used to not be a very diverse agency. I mean, let's just be blunt about it. In the 70s, you know, it really was not at all. And it really, you know, took decades for it to become what it is now. They're really trying hard to be like, okay, we welcome all types of people into our programs. They really want to make that evident. I just have concerns that with this new Twitter, you know, I'm hearing a lot about free speech. And it, it appears to me that others have different takes on what free speech is that really are not free speech. <laughs> For example, um, you know, hate speech isn't free speech. You can't go to jail over that. Defamation is definitely, it's not free speech. You know, that's something that really is not legal. Or if it's not legal, you can take somebody to court if they want to say, you know, I would never do this. But hypothetically, if I said, you know, Dave Giles, I don't know, eats babies or something. I don't know. You could say, well, there's actually I don't. And there's no evidence that I've ever done this. So I'm going to sue you, Emily, you know, yeah, because I might lose all of my work if you were to say that, Emily. I mean, it's a good chance I would. <laughs> yeah, well, no, for exactly. Me, right. But seriously, no, exa- though, no, absolutely. If you, you say something crazy about somebody that's not, you know, you could, you know, you can lose your career if somebody believes it. You know, if somebody's like, oh, my God, Dave Giles really does that. Mm. Yeah, it sounds far-fetched. It sounds kind of, people are going to hear this and probably be like, oh, that's funny. Emily said a funny thing, but it's true. There's a lot of truth in it. So I don't know. I just have concerns about the platform. And I'm worried that, you know, it's kind of going to turn around. I think a lot of the great work that the space community has done over the, I would say the past couple of years where, you know, I feel like a lot of good actors out there, you know, NASA, And a lot of um, organizations, private and public, have tried to do a lot of great work, you know, saying, okay, we can have all sorts of people participating in spaceflight, all kinds of fields in spaceflight. You know, like, for example, our guest last week, Dr. Vanessa, she's a woman of of Greek descent. You know, she has a very diverse background, speaks a lot of languages. She's a doctor and, and she's killing it. She's, you know, making her way in space. If you went back 40 years ago, Somebody like her would have not had a lot of visibility. Somebody like that may have been skipped over if they had like interviewed to be an astronaut or interviewed to be part of a space program or part, you know, even a contractor. Mm-hmm. And it's not fair, but that's how things were back then. But it doesn't mean things were right back then, you know. And I feel like in the last few years, we've actually made a lot of progress on that front that, okay, now we can have all sorts of people represented in spaceflight. It doesn't have to be one specific kind of person. And I'm just concerned this this change. I kind of went on a tangent and got very long winded. My basic point is, you know, I'm concerned that certain changes and this, you know, idea of what free speech is, is going to set us back a little bit. And, you know, I have no idea what Twitter's chain of command is. I'll be completely honest. But I do hope that, you know, they have people who are dedicated to being like, okay, we're going to keep an eye on this. We're going to try to champion, you know, these things. And and not let it get lost in the shuffle because, you know, I do joke about, man, social media sucks, but I think it has a lot of great potential to make things good in this world. You know, I think it has a lot of potential to expose people to awesome stuff and, you know, excite them and, you know, sort of like inspire their passion. I know when I see something new on social media that I've never seen before, that's really cool. I'm like, wow, that's neat. I like that. I just hope it goes a, a good direction. So I hope I made that clear. I don't know. I probably went off on 30 different tangents there. (laughs) I don't really have a linear way of thinking about this other than that. I hope the good outweighs the bad. That's all. I think my view on this is that Twitter in the past has been an amazing platform for space in particular. You know, space Twitter, as it likes to call itself, has been really great in, in educating us all about things that happened in the past, what's going on now, and giving platforms to people that didn't have platforms before who have been wonderful voices within that that world. The danger of this and this new story in the way it's, it's spiraling is that people are now moving away from that platform. And where do we go for that exchange? Yes, obviously we've got 
places like Space Hipster and stuff like that. And there's other other social network places, but Twitter is a bit more broad. It's a little bit, it's where we have access to the people making the decisions as well as the people who like to follow it. You know, you can follow what the head of the United Launch Alliance is doing and, uh, and, and, and hear his thoughts on what's going on. Uh, and equally, you can find some decent artists or authors and articles and all those kind of things. It's been a wonderful platform for, and not just for space, but other niche scientific groups or other niche groups as well. The danger of Twitter falling apart is is what do we do next? And there's a lot of people talking about Matador, which is, I, yeah. I looked at it for 10 minutes, couldn't suss it out. <laughs> it seems so complicated. Yeah, I had trouble with it. It's not very intuitive. No, I mean, I hate to be like that, but I feel old. You know, it's like I, I feel, want. I feel, you know, yeah, if, I felt old. I was like, man, I must be ninety. Yeah, or I don't understand I like, something on the internet. Know, this is this is weird. I totally agree with you, because like I've thought about, man, I should just quit Twitter and just you know go to Space Hipsters exclusively. But the problem with that is there are people like Andy Saunders. He's on Twitter a lot. I follow him. If it hadn't been for him on Twitter. I may have not known about Apollo Remastered. For yeah, absolutely. Example. And that's one of my favorite books right now. I mean, that book is like, you have to have it. But, you yeah. know, if I if I hadn't followed him on Twitter, you know, and, and stuff, I don't think I would have known about his work. Let, let's take that a step further in that potentially he wouldn't have got that book deal if it wasn't for Twitter. Because that's how we all found out about the work he was doing before there was even a book deal. See, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, exactly. Because he was doing a lot of the restoration probably way before he ever thought about doing a, you know, a full length book. And the, and the book is just magnificent. You know, it's a, it's really just a classic now, even though it's been out in the States for like less than two weeks, I think stuff like that is why Twitter does have value, you know, because there was that part of me that's like, man, I just, I'll just quit Twitter, screw it. And then I was like, you know, as much as I love space hipsters, which, you know, I created the group, you know, we do have a different, audience than um twitter like i don't want to lose the people that i've known on twitter if that makes sense because it's a little different you know absolutely and we've got listeners to this podcast who absolutely found us because of twitter yes yeah exactly different social media platforms attract different people which is fine i think it's it is uh an interesting time i think it'll be interesting where it goes but i i think your concerns are, are potentially more serious than mine uh I, I agree with your concerns but what you raise i think is a more serious thing the, the concern about what is free speech and people misusing that but i just think as a platform it would be a really shame if it fell apart because it has launched so much pardon the pun, within our community, both personalities and ideas. And I think that's been really great. So either I hope a really easy, viable, accessible alternative comes up for people who like Twitter that don't like Facebook uh, or other socials, or that this kind of balances out somewhere where we feel like we can still use it and not feel bad about it or not be hounded yeah. or have the issues that you're talking about. It will just, yeah, it's all a bit crazy, isn't it? It feels like everything is just kind of up in the air. Pardon the pun. <laughs> <laughs> Pardon the pun. So Dave, what has caught your eye this week? This isn't anything particularly new, Emily. I don't know if we've really spoken about it properly. And we mentioned it at the end of last week's show and it's the event we're going to. Yes. Right? Oh my God. Yes. We, ha- we haven't spoken about it. It's just an incredible event. It's at the Cosmosphere in Hutchinson, Kansas. And I appreciate that's in the middle of nowhere. But I, I understand there's some tickets left. So if you can get there on the 2nd of December, you should try. So it's called The First and Last Steps, Celebrating Time and Space. And it's at the Kansas State Fairgrounds. It's not actually at the Cosmosphere, but it's, it's hosted by them and nearby. Now, it's a big gala. You can wear a black tie or a smart suit dress up to your heart's content, something festive they've, they've put out would be appropriate as well. Check these honoured guests out, okay? We've got Jerry Bostick, NASA Mission Control FIDO Flight Controller, Charlie Duke, Apollo 16 Lunar Module Commander, 
Jerry Griffin, NASA Mission Control Flight Director. Fred Hayes, Apollo 13 Lunar Module Pilot. Gene Krantz, NASA Mission Control Flight Director. Jack Lausma, Skylab 3 Pilot and SDS-3 Commander. Harrison Smith, PhD, Apollo 17 Lunar Module Pilot. Milt Windler, NASA Mission Control Flight Director. And two shuttle astronauts, Jeff Aspie and Stephen Hawley as well. Ah, that's pretty awesome. I, I understand that obviously sometimes these things, they aren't always able to make it right at the end. Some of these people are quite old, so need to get my hopes a little bit in check there. But these have all agreed to, to try their best to be there. Now that's some guest list. I know. I, I saw the guest list and I was like, this is a dream guest list. I, I am yeah. so pumped to go to this thing. It's going to be so awesome. Oh my God. I don't even know what to say. It's just going to be freaking amazing. I don't want to say anything crazy. I don't want to get robbed, but I'm going to pack up my nicest fake jewels <laughs> and actually dress up to go to this thing. I'm really excited. And this year, and and this isn't, and I, I want to make it very clear, this isn't a diss towards Space Fest or Nova Space at all, but there wasn't a Space Fest this year. And um, that's usually sort of the family, I guess the space family reunion where we kind of get back together and hang out and have a lot of fun together and stuff. And there wasn't one this year, which I completely understand. I, you know, I think they've been doing, um, they've been pursuing other things, which is fine. I understand that, you know, but I think a few people were just like, man, we don't have an event to go to this year. You know, like, you know, usually there's a big event and there's the aviation hall of fame events, but um, unfortunately due to a family emergency and which, which is, I'm not upset about it. These things happen. I couldn't go to this year. So this for me will be like my space fest and and not to leave this out. It'll be the first time we're going to meet each other in uh, in the flesh, yeah. which will be <laughs> crazy. Amazing. I've never we've been doing this show for almost three damn years and we've never met in person because of just covid and just everything and an ocean. Yeah. And, and the fact that, you know, we live a few miles out. He doesn't live on like 4th Street or something. <laughs> I, and I think we're going to be doing a, a trying to do a, a show from there, too. We're going to try to interview some people in the Cosmosphere. We're going to try and do something. That's for sure. That's definitely the plan. I don't know what yet. We've got it's on my list of things to sort out. But we'll, out. we'll definitely do something. But also we get to spend, you know, obviously it's a Friday night. We get to spend the Saturday exploring the cosmosphere and Sunday morning is as well if we've got time there as well so which is one of the great museums so not only do we get brought together to meet each other and the extended community uh of people like going to these kind of events and, and hanging out and people who listen to this podcast but we also get to delve into some history stuff which is yes. amazing in one of the best if not the best space museum outside of one of the NASA centers I do have a, a couple questions I have never been to the Kansas Cosmosphere and I'm embarrassed to admit that because I have needed to go to this place for like years. And I've been to pretty much every other, not every other, but a lot of the major space museums. I need to go back to the Smithsonian because they reopened. But I, I've been there before in the past, you know, and mm -hmm. I've been to KSC, Houston, mm -hmm. all those places probably millions of times. But can you tell me, <laughs> and I feel dumb asking this. What are some of the spacecraft that are actually at the Cosmosphere? Like, what can I look forward to seeing? Okay. Oh, boy. You're smiling. Yeah. It's going to be badass. Okay. So they have... All right. Oh, wait. They have the Gemini 10 capsule, Michael Collins and John Young's old uh, old home. Oh, uh, gosh. And they've got Michael Collins' Gemini suit next to it, which is uh, really pretty. Oh. Uh, they have the Apollo 13 command module. Oh, wow. They have the Odyssey. Odyssey. They do indeed, complete with Fre uh, Jim Lovell's suit that he would have walked on the moon uh, wearing. With the, the helmet with the anchor on it? The hat's in Chicago, annoyingly, but the rest of the suit Understand. is at the Cosmosphere. Here's one for you. They have Ron Evans' Apollo 17 suit. Wow. Oh my God. That is, cool. is pretty cool. Oh, my God. And... I don't know if it will be there because they sometimes send it out, but they have Liberty Bell 7. Oh, wow. Which was Gus Grissom's Mercury capsule that sank to the bottom of the ocean and they they found it and restored it. Uh, amongst so many other amazing artifacts that they've got. And they've got a great replica uh, Mercury Redstone and a Gemini Titan uh, standing up and you can get underneath the Titan. It's like set up in the launch pad kind of thing. It's really cool. Oh my God. 
it takes you through the history of it as well. You kind of walk around of it in chronological order. So it brings you all the way up to date. And, and almost every turn in, you're like, oh my God, that, that, how have they got that as well? Ridiculous stuff. That is awesome. You know, obviously I've talked to some people who actually, who work at the Cosmosphere and um, they're always like, man, you got to come over and see this. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I do need to. And um, I've talked to so many people, you know, such as, you know, I feel like I'm name dropping Francis French as one does, but I've talked to so many people like Francis French. who's like, you got to see the Cosmosphere. Like you're going to love it. He says it's the best space museum out there and he's worked for some of them. <laughs> yeah. So I can't wait. I mean, this is going to be, I'm probably going to be flipping out at every corner because I've never been there. I've never seen a lot of this stuff. I remember when I first went to uh, space center Houston, I was like, I think I was crying. I'm such a dork. I think some of the stuff I was like, because ah! I was like, it was so cool. I'd never seen it. And I was like, oh, my God, this it's real. It's actually real. So I'm probably going to be doing you're probably going to see me acting like a dumbass there, but it's all good. And I'm so excited. But this event is going to be amazing. I think it'll be sort of like the big space reunion of like this year, you know, because I feel like the best part of these events for me is just seeing like all my friends again, because it's sort of like a family, yeah. you know, get together, you know, where you get to see everybody be like, hey, how are you doing? That to me is the best part. It's also cool seeing all the historic, you know, the people there as well. You know, the astronauts and the flight controllers. That's awesome, too. I don't want to discount that, but it's really cool to, you know, break bread with your buddies again and just have a and just have fun. Yeah, put 3D figures to names and, and profile pictures you're used to online, right? That, exactly. And, and get a more rounded picture of the people that you uh, interact with regularly online. I think it's always fun, isn't it? Yes, exactly. It's always a lot of fun. Emily, I don't know about you. I think this new section is a pretty good one. I personally like it a lot. I like how we keep it kind of loose, but it's timely at the same time. So I think it's... Uh, Awesome, and I hope our our hope our listeners like. Me too. Okay, Jiminy Eight, uh, we have TM Solid. You're looking good on the ground. Go ahead and talk. That's it for this week. We hope that you enjoyed the interview and our new look show, which has already justified itself. In the introduction, Emily said that the planned launch date for Artemis 1 was the 13th of November. Well, by the time we've finished recording and I've edited the show, the date has moved back to the 16th. And it could change again before I hit the publish button. So that new section was almost always out of date. Anyway, let us know your thoughts. Thanks again to those who continue to support us on Patreon. We really do appreciate it. We're going to be cramming in some extra interviews this month to prepare for the weeks while I'm in the US. To find out what we're planning and to submit questions for our guests, please do head over to patreon.com forward slash space and things. Thanks to all for listening and for sharing our podcast with your space flight loving friends. We'll be back next week, but until then, don't forget, in space, no one can hear you mean. Space and Things has been brought to you by And Things Productions.